Good morning, I'm Reese Tebow from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, January 3rd. James is out, and I'm here again with today's top headlines. Here are three stories you should know about. Number one. A U.S. airstrike killed Iranian Quds Force Commander Qasem Soleimani in Baghdad on Thursday, the Pentagon said. It's a dramatic escalation of tensions between the two countries that could lead to widespread violence in the region and beyond. Defense Secretary Mark Esper said the Pentagon had taken decisive defensive action against Soleimani. He was a revered military figure who was closely linked to Tehran's network of armed proxy groups across the Middle East, and according to the United States, he bore responsibility for hundreds of American deaths. In a statement, Esper said, General Soleimani was actively developing plans to attack American diplomats and service members in Iraq and throughout the region. This strike was aimed at deterring future Iranian attack plans. Earlier, Iraqi militia officials and the country's state TV channel announced that Soleimani had been killed in an airstrike alongside a top Iraqi militia leader just outside the country's main airport. The Iraqi, Jamal Jafar Ibrahimi, who is better known by his nom de guerre Abu Mahdi al-Mahandis, is closely associated with attacks on the U.S. dating back to 1982. A video circulated by Shiite militia groups showed the crumpled wreckage of the vehicle in which Soleimani was purportedly traveling, accompanied by the sound of wailing. A photograph claimed to show his bloodied, ash-strewn hand wearing the same blood-red ring seen in earlier photos of him alive. Senior officials with the Popular Mobilization Forces, an umbrella organization of Iran-backed paramilitary groups, lamented the death in messages circulating on WhatsApp. May God accept them as martyrs in his vast mercy, the chief spokesman of the PMF said. A U.S. official, who spoke on the condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to comment on the record, said the attack was conducted by a U.S. drone and struck a two-car convoy carrying Soleimani and at least half a dozen others on an access road near the Baghdad International Airport. The Iraqi government did not make an immediate comment about the attack. Despite a long period of increasing tension between Iran and the Trump administration, which has vowed a tougher stance on Tehran's support for proxy groups, the attack against such a key figure in Iran's security establishment came as a surprise for many analysts, in part because it was seen as likely to ignite a significant Iranian response. Number two. In the weeks since a heart attack put his political future in doubt, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has reignited his presidential campaign. He's now making a direct and sharp case against former Vice President Joe Biden in the final stretch before next month's Iowa caucuses. In an interview in Des Moines, Sanders told my colleague Robert Costa that Biden's record and ties to the political establishment make him ill-suited to defeat Trump in November. Sanders urged Democrats to value voters' appetite for sweeping change over Biden's perceived electability. Sanders said, quote, It's just a lot of baggage that Joe takes into a campaign, which isn't going to create energy and excitement. He brings into this campaign a record which is so weak that it just cannot create the kind of excitement and energy that is going to be needed to defeat Donald Trump. Sanders' focus on Biden comes as Sanders has recalibrated his efforts in Iowa, where the February 3rd caucuses will be a make-or-break moment for many campaigns. Not long ago, few party strategists predicted Sanders stood much of a chance at all, with attention instead on Biden, 
Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and Senator Elizabeth Warren. But the 78-year-old Sanders has rolled out a new approach. He favors town halls over the raucous rallies that defined his 2016 campaign. There is a little less talk of revolution, there is far more engagement with minority voters, and everywhere he goes, he emphasizes voters' anxiety about health care costs. If Sanders can pull off a win in Iowa, his team believes he would storm to the New Hampshire primary with a burst of momentum, then carry that to Super Tuesday, where his campaign has made the California primary a priority. Positioning the Vermont Independent for a possible long and bruising race against Biden has become increasingly central to Sanders' planning, in part because his advisors see a fight for many of the same voters. In the interview, Sanders said Biden's past backing of military intervention in Iraq would hurt him with young voters. He also cast Biden as part of the political elite, cozy with Wall Street and unable to confront major financial institutions because of his support for the bank bailout in 2008. The Biden campaign declined to comment. Finally, number three. President Trump's decision to engage directly with Kim Jong-un was premised on the bet that three decades of U.S. policy failures to contain North Korea's nuclear program could be reversed by skipping over lower-level diplomatic talks and starting at the top of its authoritarian regime. But 19 months after the two leaders' first summit, the negotiations have broken down along the same sticking point as past efforts. That is, how much sanctions relief the United States is willing to offer in exchange for how much of its arsenal Pyongyang is willing to dismantle. Now, pressure is mounting on Trump to acknowledge that his strategy has failed and to change course amid renewed warnings from Kim this week that the North would soon unveil a new strategic weapon, which analysts said could mean a long-range ballistic missile test. Diplomatic engagement has been dormant for months, and the Kim regime, frustrated by the stalemate, has publicly rejected Trump's suggestion that the two leaders could soon meet for a fourth time. For Trump, the growing tensions on the Korean peninsula suggest that Kim is increasingly in the driver's seat, as the president has sought to promote his North Korea strategy as a foreign policy triumph in an election year. Through a flurry of short-range ballistic missile tests in the second half of 2019 and in a lengthy speech on New Year's Eve, the young dictator has made clear he has continued to prioritize the nation's defense capabilities despite having announced a strategic shift toward economic development in 2018. In recent weeks, Trump's critics, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton and senators from both political parties, have faulted his approach and implored him to take additional steps, ranging from new economic sanctions to pursuing an interim deal with Kim. So far, Trump has refused to alter his course, professing that his personal rapport with Kim remains positive and urging the North Korean leader not to violate that trust. At his Mar-a-Lago golf resort in Florida, Trump told reporters, I have a very good relationship with Kim Jong-un, I know he's sending out certain messages about Christmas presents, and I hope his Christmas present is a beautiful vase as opposed to something else. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, January 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you want to get more impeachment news, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on impeachment in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports updated whenever news happens. Subscribe now at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. That's WashingtonPost.com 
slash podcasts. Have a good weekend. I'll see you on Monday.